Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Jimmy Coonan. I'm a member of the Carpenters and Joiners of America, Local 314. Thanks to all our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming at Wart possible. Hi, I'm Susie Titone, a member of the Free Congregation of Sauk County. Today, we'll get an update on the strike at CUNA, learn about how the NALC negotiates a contract, hear from SEIU Healthcare Wisconsin about their new bargaining agreement, and much more. And, if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining member of WORT and Labor Radio. Last Friday, CUNA Mutual workers started an unfair labor practice strike. They have bargained with the company many times, but there's still very little progress. Labor Radio reporter Abigail Levin spoke with the union members about their plans moving forward. CUNA Mutual workers who have been on strike since last Friday voted Wednesday to extend the strike to June. I spoke with Sarah Larson, who is part of the bargaining committee, and she explained why the strike started in the first place. They are not bargaining in good faith. Uh, they have uh, committed several violations of federal labor law so that we've had to file unfair labor practices against them. They uh, have been moving at a snail's pace um, on members' core priorities. And Larson said that even when the union has tried to protest these conditions, the company has not listened and even taken anti-union action. And they retaliated against the uh, union leadership all the way up to and including firing Joe Aveca, our chief steward. So that's why we're here today. Even though the workers have been on strike for a week now, the company is still not negotiating. Larson said that is why workers voted 95% on Wednesday to extend the strike. We just weren't seeing the kind of movement that we need in order to to uh, uh, not extend it, right? Like, uh, so uh, this is exactly what needs to happen in order to put enough pressure on the company to get them to start taking this seriously. Larson said union members are committed to seeing this through and are determined not to back down. Yeah, energy has remained high. Uh, membership is, is committed to seeing this through. And Joel Bryan, a member of OPEIU 39, said the workers have a lot of hope for the future. Um, the energy is really amazing. People are seeing seeing the things work, you know. That we're seeing the company start to really struggle without us. Larson added that this is the biggest the union has ever been. The process of bargaining this new contract has united membership in a way that we've never seen. Uh, membership is stronger now than it's ever been, and they are not going to back down until we get a fair contract. So we are in it to win it. Union members have been out from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. in different shifts, trying to make as much noise as they can. And Brian said there has been a lot of support from the community. The community has been super positive. You know, we have people, you know, they're sending food, they're, they're sharing the word, right? They met with CUNA Mutual on Wednesday, and according to Larson, there was no movement or counterproposals, even though the company claimed they had tried to bargain. 
There are no more meetings scheduled until May 30th. Reporting for WORT Labor Radio, I'm Abigail Levins. Meritor Hospital and SEIU Health agreed on a new contract this last week. Labor Radio talked to the union about the details. In last week's show, Labor Radio reported that management at Madison's Unity Point Healthcare Meritor Hospital and its nurses union, represented by SEIU Healthcare Wisconsin, had come to an early morning agreement on a new contract. This week, we talk again to Meritor Nurse and President of SEIU Healthcare Wisconsin, Pat Race, who gave some details of the new deal. Talks have gone on since January, with 22 negotiating sessions, averaging 10 hours each, before what Race described as last week's turning point. We had a vote by the nurses on Tuesday and Wednesday. We gave the bargaining team the ability to file a 10-day strike notice if they felt it was needed. And we had 98% of the nurses voted to give that right to the bargaining team. That was, I think, a very powerful move that helped us come to an agreement on Friday morning at 3.30. Race summarized the gains of the nurses in the new contract. We ended up with about 9% across the board pay increase over two years. We ended up with a couple new differentials for precepting or educating the newer nurses and for the mobile unit staff that work all over the hospital filling in gaps and troubleshooting for nurses. We increased differentials in a couple of areas for the night shift to make those less appealing shifts more appealing. We added a voice to the safety committee. We had 850 nurses that worked at Meritor, and we had one representative on the safety committee. It is hard for one person to represent 850 people throughout the hospital. So we added a second voice there, which we felt was really important. Ray said the union held the line on the hospital's give-back demands. We managed to not have any takeaways which was important because they were trying to adjust start times for some of the differentials that people wouldn't qualify for them. And we felt that was highly unfair. And they tried to take away overtime after eight hours for people working eight-hour shifts. When you're constantly being asked to pick up extra, there needs to be a penalty for the hospital not having enough staff. Their responsibility, and they will tell us on a regular basis, that they are in charge of staffing and scheduling. And it's like, well, then you should do your job. A negotiator from a national union management law firm caused talks to drag, but ultimately did not really deflect the union from its goals, according to Race. I think that law firm had management bringing in proposals that were a little different, and and I think that's probably where they came up with the ideas of trying to decrease the stipends and differentials. You know, they tried to make it hard for our periat services to go up the clinical ladder. They tried to separate the staff by having grandfathering and stuff. And it was all stuff that our bargaining team was incredibly determined to not allow to happen. Race described how her union had had to counter disinformation presented by management lawyers at the negotiating table. He brought some blatant lies to the table, saying that staffing ratios do not have a difference on quality of patient care, for which... Our bargaining team came back with 36 articles, including the article he quoted and showed him where he pulled that line out of and how if he had read a little further, he would have seen that staffing ratios make an enormous difference for safe patients. And unions on a whole are able to push ratios better than non-unionized hospitals. Race has a shout out to labor supporters in the Madison area. I would like to thank all of the community for the support that they have provided the nurses at Meritor and the nurses at UW. We continue to fight the UW fight. 
want to also make sure that we do a shout out to OPIU 39 who are currently on the strike line and anybody who wants to join them. Race summed up what she saw as the achieved union goals in this latest collective bargaining agreement with Unity Point Health Meritor. Our main goal was to make sure that we had what we needed to make sure that we could provide safe quality care to our patients. And I truly believe this contract, we were able to get that. That was Pat Race of SEIU Healthcare Wisconsin, who spoke yesterday to Labor Radio. The new agreement between her union and Meritor Hospital started Wednesday and continues through March 2025. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. The National Association of Letter Carriers continues to negotiate a new contract with the United States Postal Service. Labor Radio has information about the bargaining process. On February 22nd, the National Association of Letter Carriers, NALC, opened negotiations with the Postal Service in their 16th round of collective bargaining. The NALC won the right to negotiate national contracts in the Great Postal Strike of 1970. The current agreement expired at midnight on Saturday, May 20th, 2023. They will follow the expired contract until a new negotiated or arbitrated agreement takes effect. A mandatory statutory 60-day mediation period follows the expiration of the previous contract. The NALC and the Postal Service have agreed to continue negotiations on a new contract during mediation. In the event of a negotiated tentative agreement, members must ratify the contract through mail-in balloting. Issues that are unresolved after the mediation period will be addressed through interest arbitration, which will result in a final binding decision on a new national agreement. The parties will select a neutral arbitrator to chair an arbitration board that will also include one management and one union arbitrator. Many NALC contract proposals result from resolutions introduced by union members at biennial national conventions and voted on by the convention delegates. Other proposals are developed by subcommittees made up of NALC executive council members and staff. They may include changes to contract language, changes to handbook and manual provisions guiding work methods, or ideas for improving working conditions. The NALC represents more than 210,000 city letter carriers. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. This issue affects 600 members in the Madison area. In other contract negotiations locally, Journey Health and AFS-CME are in negotiations for a new contract. The old contract has expired, and the parties are working under a three-month contract extension. Both parties have agreed not to make statements to the press as negotiations proceed. Labor Radio spoke with Christina Bray, the Public Affairs Manager of the Wisconsin Educational Association Council, or WEAC, about an assembly bill that has finally had a hearing in the Wisconsin Educational Committee. 
I understand that there was a hearing on the Education Committee this week. Can you tell us about that? The Assembly Education Committee held a hearing on Assembly Bill 232. The bill would amend a current Wisconsin law that already requires school boards to provide instruction designed to give students an understanding, particularly with regard to American Indians, Black Americans, and Hispanics. The bill AB 232 would add the words Hmong Americans and Asian Americans to existing statutes. Why is WEAC advocating for this change? WEAC believes that all students should be seen and heard and respected, and Asian American and Hmong American students are included in that. We believe there shouldn't be any exceptions when it comes to which students' history we teach. Asian American history is American history, and we believe the message that this bill will send to students is that all students matter, not just for Hmong American, Asian American students, but all students benefit. Were there people advocating for this? There were people from Eau Claire, Stevens Point, Milwaukee, Madison, La Crosse. It was a beautiful representation. Lots of students came out to testify, and WEAC was very proud to have our president, Peggy Worth Olson, there testifying, and also 2022 Teacher of the Year, Cabby Hong, who has long been advocating for this change to Wisconsin law. What was the reception from the Education Committee? Previous Education Committees failed to even offer this bill a hearing. Representative Joel Kitchens of Sturgeon Bay, the chair of the committee, was the one who allowed this to come to the floor. That said, the Senate Education Committee is not talking about whether they will take up the companion bill in their committee this year. We definitely will be focusing our attention on the Senate Education Committee because we believe this bill and the students who it represents deserve to have a hearing. What can listeners do? I think being aware of the rich contributions of the Asian American and Hmong American communities throughout Wisconsin is really important. And then go ahead and contact your own representatives, whether or not they may serve on the education committees. Just speaking up, one of the things that we hear from our Asian American and Hmong American students often is that they feel invisible. That was Christina Bry from WEAC. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio. Mitchell was a labor radio volunteer reader, longtime union member, steward, officer, and practitioner of troublemaking as an art form. He sadly passed away this winter. Roy Dorman has a story about working with Gary under a tennis teamster contract in a canning factory. I knew Gary Mitchell back in the mid-70s when he and I were both in our mid-20s, and this was before his long tenure with WSEU. We were at the Oconomowoc Canning Company, Wanakee Division, owned by the Wikes Brothers out of Oconomowoc. I was a teamster steward for Local 695 at the Canning Company, and Gary was one of my best customers. We had a good time there. Those were the times of the teamsters when Don Eaton, 
Jim Marchetti and Tom Keeskin were people that I got to know well, and Tom Keeskin was our union rep. The story I want to tell you is tells a little bit about Gary's sense of humor. If you were with Gary at all, you knew he had a complicated sense of humor. Sometimes it was dry, sometimes it was outrageous, sometimes it could be even a little bit cutting. So we were at a meeting, a grievance meeting. A grievance had been filed by Gary for something or other, and uh, the company had sent down the big guns. They sent down the attorney to, to Wanakee from, from the Melli law firm, the union-busting reputation they had. One of the Wikes brothers came along, and, uh, and a couple of the managers were sitting in. And on our side of the table was uh, the Teamsters rep, Tom Keeskin, myself, and Gary Mitchell. And uh, the attorney pontificated for a while over this and that and this and that. And finally, he came to the conclusion at the end, was going to enlighten us. And he said, the situation here is that Gary Mitchell is just a natural-born troublemaker. Well, Gary didn't let it skip a beat. He just said, no, as a matter of fact, it was cesarean section. Well, that one side of the table all got kind of red in the face, and our side of the table was chuckling. And that's how that natural-born troublemaker thing came to be. We teased Gary about that a lot. Another situation with Gary was, uh, as, as the union steward, occasionally I'd get called into the office by the manager. And this particular manager was new, and he was a manager that wanted to be uh, the boss, but let you know that he was one of the guys and he was going to be your friend. Well, that didn't go over with Gary. He had kind of a fine line where that kind of thing went, and this guy wasn't going to get away with that with Gary. So he called me into the office, shut the door, told me he was going to be writing Gary up. And I said, okay, well, what are we, what are we looking at here? And he said, well, when I go back there in the morning to the, to the docks, that's where Gary and I and a number of other people were driving forklift loading boxcars with canned goods, semis as they came in with canned goods. When I go back there in the morning, I say, good morning. I expect everybody to say good morning. Gary won't do that. And I said, oh, really? So you're going to write him up for that? And he said, yes, I am. I said, oh, Gary will appreciate that. He likes that kind of thing. He likes, the, likes that game. And I can tell you that it isn't going to go very far. And he said, it's insubordination. And I said, no, not really. If you're looking at something in the contract, which you won't find having to say good morning to the management in there, you're going to find that insubordination is more about doing your job, not doing your job, how you're doing your job, and saying good morning to the management just isn't going to do it. But you can write him up, and Gary will probably enjoy it. He'll enjoy grieving it, getting it taken out of his record, even though I think he'd secretly like to have it in his record. That was Roy Dorman remembering Gary Mitchell. The strike by workers at the CUNA Mutual Group, True Stage, is more than just a local dispute. For the first and only time in the more than 80-year history of unionization, workers at CUNA Mutual, members of OPIU Local 39, have gone on strike. In and of itself, this is a remarkable event. But it is part of a nationwide response by working people to the deteriorating conditions of existence. Workers at CUNA are on strike for a future 
and against the ravages of a successful corporate offensive against working people. That offensive is based on the corporate class's desire to maximize profits by ending any type of obligation to working people that may impede that objective. As such, corporations have eliminated defined benefit pension plans, eviscerated medical insurance plans, and have done everything possible to destroy any hope of long-term employment. They have successfully separated wage increases from productivity increases. As workers have produced more wealth, their share of it has decreased. The escalator of improved wages and benefits stopped advancing in the mid to late 70s for many, and went into reverse for even more people in the 2000s. The corporate objective looks like the 19th century, when workers were paid by the day or task, and companies had no responsibility beyond that. Sounds like gig work today. The workers at CUNA are on strike for a different future, one that includes a well-financed health insurance system, a defined benefit pension plan, wages that reflect the tremendous increases in productivity that the company has secured, and a job security package. The workers' vision directly challenges the 19th century vision of the company. But this strike is important for another reason. CUNA has employed an aggressive strategy of contracting unemployment, using a sophisticated system of communications and contracting arrangements. It is the union's estimate that most of the 1,200 jobs moved from Madison are still being performed remotely. In other words, the work is still there, but not the wages, pensions, health care, or rights associated with a union and a contract. The union is battling for a 21st century standard of living and corporate responsibility against a 19th century vision. In this regard, the strike at CUNA is part of a nationwide movement of workers to build a future commensurate with their needs and not just the greed of the corporations. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. My remarks are mine alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Madison Labor Radio or WORT. The Scuffle Bean Feed is back. Greg Jaboski has more. For about 60 years, on the Wednesday before Memorial Day, the South Central Federation of Labor, or Scuffle, held its annual Bean Feed, its one fundraiser, to raise money for its Committee on Political Education, or COPE. Until, that is, from 2020 to 2022, when the bean feed was shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This year, though, the bean feed was back at the Madison Labor Temple. Labor Radio caught up with Wisconsin AFL-CIO President Stephanie Bloomingdale, who was slinging a ladle and filling plates from the bean pan. It is great to be back at the Scuffle Bean Feed here in Madison, Wisconsin. People are coming out and having beans and hot dogs and potato salad and mingling with each other and really sharing the feeling of solidarity here tonight. David Newby, former president of the Wisconsin AFL-CIO and a former president of Scuffle, gave a history of the bean feed. The first bean feed was within a couple of years of the AFL and the CIO merging in Wisconsin. It took longer in Wisconsin. There were uh, more difficult negotiations that went on for some years. And I think it was either 1958 or 59, within a year or two, of the Madison Federation of Labor being formed, that they organized the first bean feed. And it was organized as a political fundraiser for the Committee on Political Education. And it was, you know, we'll invite politicians, you can talk to them and, you know, get your gripes out there, but no speeches. 
<laughs> it's been that way ever since. Following tradition, political leaders who had been endorsed by Scuffle were invited to the bean feed. Here's Madison District 9 Alder Nikki Conklin, one of the electeds who showed up. Well, I think the laborers have supported me and I wanted to support them. Obviously, uh, they're going through a difficult time right now and I want to be there and, and stand in solidarity with them. And this year's bean feed had something new, raising funds to feed the striking workers at OPEIU Local 39. Here is Scuffle President Kevin Gunlock. One, five, three, nine, two, four, four. Well, we, we had a raffle for the first time this year, and we heard that the workers out at CUNY Mutual Group, now called True Stage, uh, OPIU members are on strike, of course, and we know that they need some food on the line. So, you know, we raised uh, over $500, and now we can bring them some good food, maybe a taco truck or something, and show some solidarity that way, too. And with the agreement of this year's raffle winner, all of this year's raffle funds are going to the strikers, according to Gunluck, who indicated the scuffle may move into more such strike support and organizing fundraising in the future as well. Now, here are some more voices of the 2023 scuffle bean feed. Sean Reed, Dane County Highway Department, representing Local 65. I'm the guy you don't like out on the highway slowing down traffic. We drive the big orange plow, we fold up traffic, we fix the potholes. That's what we do. <laughs> Anything you want to add? Support your local union. My husband was a plumber, Local 75. And you're a volunteer tonight? Yes. Uh, well, what's, your, what's your name? Carol Copan. So is this your first bean feed or have you been here before? I've been here before. What's it like to come back after the break of a few years because of the pandemic? Well, I missed it. missed seeing all the people associating with different trades and seeing all the different representatives. David Polklinkuski, IBEW Local 2304. You know, if the labor movement is going to be strong and survive, it has to get together in person. And it's great to have all of these local unions and local members one-on-one -on -one meeting each other again. And we got to do a lot more of that. Those were just a few of the volunteers and attendees of the 2023 Scuffle Bean Feed. Events sponsored by Scuffle can always be found at their website at scfl.org. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski. And now for an announcement. Madison Veterans for Peace will be holding a Memorial Day Peace Rally at the Gates of Heaven, James Madison Park, on Monday, May 29th at 1 p.m. Matt Rothschild will be the featured speaker with a speech entitled No to War, No to Fascism, with commentary by Will Williams. All are welcome. Again, the Memorial Day Peace Rally will be held at 1 p.m. at the Gates of Heaven in James Madison Park. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Jimmy Coonan. Thanks to Frank M. Speck, Assistant Robin G., Reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hingerup, Jeannie Ramsey, Abigail Levins, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. A special thanks goes out to Keith Steffens, our reader coordinator, web poster Anna Lee, and to all our readers and members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Susie Tatone. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the Professor Bill Clark. <laughs>